0: Uh, Well, let's pray. Lord, we do again pray amen with with Greg over those prayer requests and ask for your hand to be over us in this season, Lord. Um, We ask that you take what Josiah spoke about today and let that sink deep into our hearts, Lord, and be a lasting treasure that uh, we're able to come back to time and time again. And we pray uh, uh, as we go through Romans today that we would uh, be relieved by your grace towards us, Lord, and encouraged by the sacrifice of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So, last week uh, we got a taste of Romans 9. And uh, we'll get a little bit more of that today. So, if we go to our, the title here, through faith we believe in Christ and call upon Christ. And I, looking back at it now, uh, I probably should have said through faith in Christ we believe in Christ and call upon Christ. I kind of want to get a point the cross here to. Oh, I want to get across the point here today that like this whole message is going to be about Christ. So. Uh, That's a good starting place, I think. (laughs) Uh, Because the Bible even says, like, in Scripture, we look for eternal life. uh, But it's them that speak about Christ. And so it's really in Christ that we find eternal life. So there's really no point in reading our Bibles unless we find Christ in our Bibles. Luckily... Paul does a really good job of finding Christ in his Bible. At least he did after Christ revealed himself to him. (laughs) So, Lord, please reveal yourself to us like you revealed yourself to Paul. Um, So going to our outline here, uh, we are going to go over some review about what John Gray said last week regarding uh, Romans 9, because you know, it it is all one thought. It's all one letter from Paul. It's one argument, one plea, one love letter uh, for us to read and glean from. Then we're going to talk about a, a couple distinctions here. Distinctions, we're going to compare and contrast the Jews and the Gentiles, um, what Paul did. And then we're going to look at works-based righteousness versus faith-based righteousness. Uh, And so that's a common theme in our church um, because it's something we all struggle with. And uh, I think Paul understood that we all would struggle with this. I think scripture really speaks to that. And then we're going to talk about Christ, the stumbling block. Again, I said Christ is the center of this message. And Christ as the stumbling block in this passage is really the the hinging point, or the differentiating point to, uh, it, it's what makes the difference between works-based righteousness and faith-based righteousness. It's what the whole gospel hinges on is Christ the stumbling block. Christ is the reason, uh, he's what separates Christianity from everything else. Okay, um, you know, I'm not an expert in every religion, uh, but I have done some looking into it, and I've talked to a lot of people from different religions. And grace that comes from Christ is wholly and uniquely Christian and offers a holy and unique security to us that no one else has. And that's a stumbling block for a lot of people. And that's the stumbling block that's presented in the gospel. So we'll go over the gospel too uh, because we should every day. So in our review, um, the title of John's sermon last week was, As God, you know, as God, being God, Christ has the authority to judge. Right now that should make some of us uncomfortable. <laughs> but he also has the right to have mercy and that should make some of us thankful. And he, he talked about one really, like what he, his focus last week was on like a really, uh, for some reason, controversial topic in the church today uh, and has been for a very long time. Uh, but it's a really important one to grasp hold of because again, I, I'm telling you, this is like what the gospel hinges on. This is what Christianity hinges on. Um, is the idea of Christ. And so he presented this word predestination that we should all become familiar with. It's the idea that God chose us, we didn't choose God. Right? So how can that be? And he laid out a bunch of arguments that we can have and rightly should have. And if you're really wrestling with the text, you got it leaves big questions for us to ask. Uh, but he laid out really... Uh, the answer is really simple. So let's look at Romans 9:2021. 20, it says, "But who are you, O oh man? That, that's us." remember. He's talking to us. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Well what is molded say to its molder? "Why have you made me like this?" Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Basically, the answer that he, that's afforded in Scripture to our, all our questions about predestination is, who are you? Right? Um, I think it's wonderful that there's mysteries in Scripture because if our God was a God we could fully understand, he'd be a really not that great of a God. If you could attain to God, you would be God yourself. And that means all the responsibility would fall on you. So thank you, God, that you are beyond us. That you are set apart and holy and righteous and lead us. He has showed us some examples. One of Jacob and Esau saying, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. An example very clear of like God chose... uh, Jacob, and he didn't choose Esau. Why? Who are you to ask? (laughs) And then he talks about Pharaoh, who at some points it says that uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and then at other points it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Why? Well, one, he said that evil's already in his heart, which all of us have evil in our hearts. So it's a mercy of God uh, for Pharaoh's heart to ever be soft anyways. But again, who are you to ask? You should just be grateful that you haven't ended up like Pharaoh yet. I'd hate to have an entire sea come crashing down on me. All right, so we're going to get into this. Uh, First, let's open up to the section of Scripture we're going to. So Romans 9, 24. I want to read through all of it first because we're going to be jumping around in it a lot. We're actually going to be reading through the end and, and the beginning of 10. And I just want us to really apprehend what's going on here because it's one continuous thought. And it's important to get all the points, all the parts to really grasp it. Um, I will say one thing here is Paul's laying Paul is laying out like a really theological argument, and he's also laying it out as like a plea to us. So it, he's using scripture to to show his heart that's come from God, and uh, in this section of scripture we're about to go over, he has I think it's like it's either eleven or twelve direct quotes from different passages in the Old Testament. So basically he's almost quoting more Old Testament in this section of Scripture than he's adding any thoughts of his own. Right? He's not. He's adding less of his own uh, interpretations. He's, he's quoting the Old Testament here. So he's saying something really important. You know, I think that if I want to get something across really accurately about what some, something that is important, I'm going to go back to the original source of what I'm trying to say more because I don't want to mess it up. Like if I've got something really important to say to someone, uh, like if my dad told, you know, when I was a kid, my dad's like, go tell your mother this, right? Uh, and I go and, and my mom starts asking me questions. She's like, so what do you say exactly? Uh, I'd be like, you should just go ask him, right? So Paul's like saying all these really big, important ideas. Uh, let's go back to the original source scripture, and I'll show you that it's not me who's saying this, okay? Like that just blows my mind. Like 11 or 12 direct references to the Old Testament. That's insane. At one point in my young Christian walk, I remember asking myself frequently like, why is this so important to read the Old Testament if we have the New Testament? <laughs> but you can't read your New Testament without reading your Old Testament, apparently. <laughs> so, starting in verse 24. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. Sons and daughters of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts has not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What then shall we say? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness... That is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire. Here's what I'm saying. like He's taking all this and he's like, this is my heart's desire. And prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So that's where we're ending uh as far as reading today, and that's where we're going to be reading from. Let's get into this. So Jew versus Gentile he start Paul starts right off the bat here. Um, you know it, this is a part of his predestination argument. Uh, When you're thinking about, like, Esau and Jacob, for instance, in that culture, the oldest son was the one who got the inheritance. And in the example of Jacob and Esau, and even Isaac and Ishmael, uh, even, you know, you read the story about Joseph, and, like, basically every story about a kid (laughs) being born and raised up, God's saying, like, the cultural precedence of the oldest son getting the inheritance isn't how I play, you know, that's not how I do things. I do things by giving the inheritance the ones that I choose. So Israel's standing there uh, thinking, what's like, God chose us, his people. So if I'm born a Jew, that means I'm chosen, right? Well, the whole argument for predestination is that some who are chosen are Jews, and some who are chosen are Gentiles. And so Paul continues that thought saying, uh, basically, like out of us, when I'm talking about us, he says in in nine twenty four even us whom he has called, so he's he's distinction his distinction here is those who have been called not from Jews only, but also from Gentiles. So we're all, if you're called, you're called. Okay, doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, black, white, man, woman, old person, baby. (laughs) If you're called, you're called. So let's look at what it means to be called, right? Um, And he's saying that neither the Gentiles or the Jews have a claim to God. And here's his arguments for why they don't. So for the Gentiles, in Romans 9:25 through 26, he says, Those who were not my people I will call my people. And her who was not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. He's saying they're, that's the calling, okay, of the Gentiles. And that's an, an Old Testament quote. What he's saying is they never had a claim based on we were always his people. right? He's saying it's a mercy that they've been called because originally they weren't his people. So the Gentiles should be thankful that they were even called my people because that's not their original state. So the Gentiles should be thankful for God's mercy. Now let's look at the Jews. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. What that means is only a few people from them will be saved. Only a smaller amount, not even the majority, will be saved. That's what That's what, uh, they don't have a claim on God because they were awaiting judgment and a remnant was saved. They go on to say a quote from Isaiah, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Has anyone heard of anything about Sodom and Gomorrah after the point that it was destroyed? Their history ends there. Okay? And that's what Israel deserved. There was a point in history, lots of points in history, where our spiritual ancestors should have been wiped off the face of the earth. Israel shouldn't have, should have ended up being like Sodom and Gomorrah, and the last thing anyone knew of them was that they were a wicked people. And it's God's grace and his mercy that they weren't. So they don't have a claim on God's righteousness either. Just based on the fact that we, we have been. They're saying we have been called my people by God. Unlike the Gentiles. Uh, but guess what they did with it? They lived in unrighteousness and they deserved death. So even they only have a claim of mercy and thankfulness to God for his righteousness. So let's talk about this righteousness word that keeps coming up Uh, because Paul lays out a couple different righteousnesses, you know, different terms for righteousnesses uh, in this text. So this is the best definition I could think of. Uh, Christiana helped me with it. Righteousness is a state of being, that is a state of like how you are, in relation to God's perspective. So I think we have a lot of misconceptions misplaced ideas on what righteousness means. I think a lot of us think righteousness is right doing. I'm righteous if I act rightly. But it doesn't matter how you act, it's how God sees you. Okay? So, you know, if you act wrongly, he probably will see you wrongly. If you act rightly, he'll probably see you rightly. But that's not the whole picture. Okay? So think of it as how God sees you. Does God see you as righteous or does he see you as unrighteous? Well, let's find out. Christ, that's where we get to Christ the stumbling block, and we're going to read through a couple more scriptures. So Romans 9:33 says, "Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame." First of all, he's saying like Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the end goal here is to not be put to shame. I think all of us really enjoy not feeling shame. You know, uh, you know, one of my favorite parts about being married is being married to someone who I don't have to feel ashamed being around. You know, That's not the case with everyone I meet, mean, right? Because of my sin, I feel shame all the time, and that's not a state I want to be in. That's so like that's the end goal here is like let's not be put into shame. So how do we get there? Well, we believe in Him, right? But if if He's a stumbling block, if there's this big stumbling block, a rock of offense, how are we going to believe in Him? We're going to trip on the way. Like, it's a literal, like, we're tripping on the way to believing in God. And that's going to put us to shame. Like, it, there's no other way to view stumbling block. Than really, literally thinking, like, I was on my way and I, I tripped. Like, and I didn't get there. I had a nice trip and I didn't see him till next fall. Okay. Okay. <laughs> No, uh, sorry guys. Uh, but this is like, this is really cool what, what Paul does here, okay? He, he's doing like some amazing biblical hermeneutics here, okay? We should read the Bible how Paul reads the Bible here. So let's go to Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Okay, that sounds really close to what we just read. But it's not quite there. That doesn't sound like a stumbling block to me. So is, is Paul like committing like plagiarism here and a misquotation? What's going on? Right, the same thing I thought. I was like, "That's weird." So, <laughs> ask Christian to do more digging for me. <laughs> I'm too lazy. Um, let's read Isaiah eight fourteen. Again, cornerstone here. Christ called himself the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone. That's who we're talking about here. Isaiah 8, 14. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He's taking two verses and putting them together and saying like, see, this Christ, this stone that I said was the cornerstone, the tested one, the one that we're going to build our foundation of faith on, he's also a stumbling block to Israel. That's like really, we need to learn how to do that. When you read your Bible, you need to like, hopefully God enlightens it to you and you start seeing these connections. So here's the Old Testament saying it's going to be a stumbling block to the Jews. So that's an unfortunate thing because it means they're going to end up being put to shame. God help us that we aren't put to shame and that we do learn to believe in him. How do we get there? How is Christ not a stumbling block to us? Well, let's look how it's a stumbling block to the Jews, right? Because he's just saying it is. It is it's a fact. It's a, Christ is a stumbling block to them. Why? Well, we're going to look at the the first type of righteousness. And Paul says that their righteousness is one based on the law. In Romans 31 through 32, we're going to read, but but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Why? because they did not pursue it by faith. He's saying they they did the law righteousness and not the faith righteousness, but as if it were based on works. So now we've got this word works in there. And then it says they've stumbled over the stumbling stone. So basically, I'm going to lay out an argument here, and Paul lays out the same argument. If you're going to live by the law, it's going to require works from you. Okay? Okay? If that's what you want to live by, if you want to live by the law, you're going to have to fulfill the law. You're going to have to do it. Whatever you live by, whatever your creed is, uh, you have to abide by that. Right? You know, Anvesh is now an American. That means he has to do American things. Right? He has to drive like an American and not an Indian. (laughs) Sindhu, do they use stop signs in India? No. (laughs) Are you allowed to bribe public officials in India? You can't do that in America, (laughs) okay? Some people try, some people succeed, but it's not common everyday stuff, okay? He's got to live like an American. And he thought that was a pretty good deal. He's like, yeah, I'll be an American and I'll live by the rules. Sounds good to me. But if you want to live by the law instead of by faith in Christ, you have, to, you have to uphold those values. In Romans ten two through 3 we read, For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, which is more than I can say for me sometimes, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Okay, they see the righteousness and they see the law and they're going to get there by fulfilling the law. That's what they think. Romans ten five, For Moses writes about the righteousness, that it is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them and we're going to use one of Greg's favorite terms, if you read the reverse negative, the people who don't do the commandments will die by them. Right? If you want it more clearly, go to James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law, the whole law, that's a lot of law. That's more than the Ten Commandments, guys. The whole law is more than the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a summary of the whole law. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just one point, at one point in their life, if you, there's this uh, one evangelist, that I'm sure everyone's heard of him, he's the, I think he's Australian. He goes around and he asks people, he's like, have you lied? And people are like, yeah, I've lied. He's like, have you ever stolen? And I'm like, yeah, I've stolen. And he's like, Have you ever taken God's name in vain? And they're like, sure, once or twice. And he's like, so you're a liar, you're a thief, and you're a blasphemer. (laughs) You've just broken three of God's commandments. And you said that you do that chronically. (laughs) So basically, all of us have sinned at least once at some point in our life, and probably a lot worse than that. And so, if you fail at one point, you've become guilty of all of it. If you've broken one law, you've broken all of it. That's like saying, just because you ran a stop sign, you're guilty of murder and adultery and embezzlement and all this other stuff. And like you're going to get all these sentences for the, all those things. If that's what you want to live by, that's what you're guilty of. And so this is what they're up against. This is what the Israelites are up against. They see the law and they're like, how are we we'll try and fulfill it. That's the way we'll live. That's our way to life. That's, our, that's how we get to life. But the truth is, is like, they can't fulfill it. There's no way. They fail left and right because they don't have knowledge of God. We say, if that's what's, hold- like, if that's what's between them and life, like just figure it out right? Why can't they just figure it out? They don't have knowledge of God. God hasn't revealed himself to them. That's their only hope and it's a really bad one. That's like when you see, you know, you see people in bad situations, right? And, uh, like, they're doing some things that, like, probably aren't very savory. Like, for instance, say you grew up, like, in a really impoverished area, and then you get, like, into drug- dealing drugs and stuff like that. And people say, that, well, they're just trying their best, right? They don't know another way. If someone just showed them another way, they would do it, right? That's like Israel right now. That's what the Jewish way was, was like, we don't know another way. But they should have, because God's revealed it in his word. That's why most of this is the Old Testament, right? Paul's saying like, see, it's clearly here. Why have we missed it? Paul knew the word of God frontwards and backwards. He knew the Old Testament. He most likely had all of it memorized, okay? Okay. How many verses do you guys have memorized? How close are you to having the whole Old Testament memorized? How many of you have read the whole Old Testament? How many of you have read a book, you know, at least a book from the Old Testament? Like, none of us have gotten close to memorizing it. Maybe some of us have read it, right? Maybe some of us have read it a few times. But none... None of us knew it like Paul did, and he still needed it revealed to him. That's what this predestination thing's about. And that's why Christ is a stumbling block to Israelites. They they can glean the law. It's pretty easy to read the law, but it's really hard to see Christ in it. So let's get past this stumbling block. to the gospel. And hopefully we get past this stumbling block. I love graphs. I'm an engineer. Flowcharts are awesome. So how do we get past the stumbling block? Well, let's start at the stumbling block, okay? Let's not start with the law. Let's start with the stumbling block. Let's start with Christ. So it's through Christ revealed to us that we can have faith. And it's through faith that we can believe. And it's through believing that we can call. And it's through calling that we're saved. Okay? I, whenever I think of this, I think of, you know, uh, recently, you know, I've, I've, I grew up with kids being around my household. My mom, like, loved watching and, you know, being like a, a babysitter for everyone's kids. So I grew up around kids. And something that every kid that grew up in a really good household does Uh, It's kind of a counterintuitive idea. The kids that grow up in a really good household cry the loudest for their mom and dad when they're scared. I don't know why. (laughs) I'll tell you why. Uh, The ones who grew up in worse households are usually the quietest and seem seem to be the most well-behaved. That's because uh, if you cry out, and you aren't answered, you stop crying. You know, the babies in the orphanages eventually just stop crying altogether because they're just left there when they cry. But kids who grow up in really good households, they know if they cry, they'll be answered because they believe that whoever said would save them would save them. And so that's, that's what it means by, like, you'll, if you believe, then you will call upon God, and he will save you. How can he save us from the law? What's different, like, if we add Christ into this equation, like, that's, Christ is the linchpin. He's the, he's the dividing factor. He's the, the thing that separates uh, a law of righteousness and righteousness by faith, and why? What does he do? What does he add to the equation that we can't get otherwise? Well, in Romans 8, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned the sin in the flesh. And uh, Let's just go into Romans ten six 6-8 here. This is what really is going to say what Christ did that we couldn't do. That the law couldn't do. This is talking about what Moses said, right? This is quoting Moses in Deuteronomy 30. It says, But the righteousness based on faith versus the righteousness based on the law says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring down Christ down. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Let's go to Deuteronomy 30, because I think, I don't know, I have a sense like I'm not going to be able to get this across to us accurately unless we read it. This is really powerful stuff here, guys. Like I, I cried when I first read this. Deuteronomy 30 Go down to verse eleven. They're they're getting a law. They're getting a, a renewed covenant, and. Moses is talking to the people and he's laying out all these commandments to them and he says, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. We just read that it's impossible for us to fulfill. What's Paul saying, or what's Moses saying that we aren't seeing? And then he says, it's not like it's in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? So a, a quick note about this in reading it, this, it says the sea here instead of the abyss, because the sea in the you know, during that time was imagery of chaos and death. It was an abyss. So when it says that Christ descended into hell, uh, someone going across the sea, it's the same thing. It's the same imagery. So Moses is like saying, no one went into the, has to go into the abyss. But that word is like, it's here. It's near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. So that you can do it. But the truth is, is it was too far off. Someone did have to go up Someone did have to go up to heaven to bring it down to us. Someone did have to go across the sea or into the abyss to bring it to us. And the only person who could do that was God through Christ. Like It's incredible. Another distinction in Christianity is that the one true living God descended to earth in flesh so that we could not just have the word of God but to have it close to us. It's a distinctly Christian thing that the one true living God would die and descend into the abyss so that we could have the the word of God close to us. No other God wants to be that close to his people. No other God loves their people so much that they'll pay the ultimate sacrifice, that they'll become sin. Who knew no sin. No other God has said, You've messed up, I'll stand in for you. That's what Christ has to offer into this equation. Is where we failed at the law, He didn't. And so, in God's perspective, we're righteous because. Jesus was righteous and he said don't look at them without looking through me those are my brothers and sisters and if you see them you see me that that would have been impossible for us guys it would have been a stumbling block to us. It would have been foolishness to us to imagine uh, fulfilling the law. It would be foolish of us to think that we could build a tower high enough to reach heaven or that we could go into the abyss and come back from it. No one's come back from hell. Christ did. Christ went to the abyss and came back. He died and was raised again. He didn't just die. He had the Father turn his face from him totally and completely. And he came back from that for us. So, uh, just real quick, you know, the the last few verses of Romans 10, um, 13 through 17 is one you're familiar with if you've ever gone evangelizing or tried to be motivated to go evangelizing is like you got to go out and and do like tell other people about this if you want them to hear it. If you don't want them to be zealous without the knowledge of God. Uh yes, it's true that God reveals these things to be true in our hearts, but people need to hear it. They need to hear it. God chose to send his church out to preach this word, to proclaim this word. And it started with Christ's example. In Luke four eighteen through 19, Jesus quotes this about himself. And I love this because it sums up so much Christ's heart and the whole reason he was here on earth. Is that he quotes, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, the gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Christ did that. And again, when he says, you can't look at them unless you look at me first, he's also saying, because I'm claiming them in my righteousness, I'm also claiming them in my mission. Again, remember that example I gave of, you know, now that Onvesh is an American, he does American things. He has to live by the American standards, right? He can no longer just drive through stop signs. He has to eat burgers and apple pie and stuff like that too. We're starting a baseball team if anyone wants to join. No. Uh, Sorry, Anvesh, you can't play cricket anymore, only baseball. <laughs> but when we, if we want to claim Christ's righteousness, we also have to claim his mission. We have to live by Christ. Just as if we wanted to claim the law as our Savior, we had to live by the law. If we want to claim Christ as our Savior, we have to claim, you know, his ways. And his ways are proclaiming this good news. And that's not a huge burden, guys. If you've been saved, you want to tell people. You know, it doesn't take much solicitation for people to tell me of the like really cool new uh, like food spot they found because it's so great or whatever. Or, you know, Josiah spent like a month telling everyone about YNAB, a budgeting app. And guess what? I got it. I love it too. Get YNAB. not sponsored. Uh, (laughs) But like, the gospel is so much more than an app, a budgeting app. It's so much more than a place to get like really good food. This is like life or death. It's not a huge burden to go tell other people about it. If you don't go, who is going to go? If you don't go, there's going to be a bunch of people out there who see the we can't just say, give them a Bible and let them read it. Because they may read it and see Christ and say, Ugh, stumbling block, I'm not getting past that. We have to be there preaching this word, preaching what God has done for us. So I want to encourage all of us to do that. I want to encourage all of us to live by grace and not by works. Like that's the work is going out and telling people about how good God has been to you. That's not, like, oppressive. (laughs) Okay? That's not as oppressive as saying, if you've done the whole law but failed in one point, you're dead. That's oppressive. But saying God's been so good to you, why don't you tell someone? That's not oppressive. So, uh, communion meditation just real quick as we come to the to the table today just want us to remember that Christ was the one who went to the mountain and he was the one that went to the abyss and he did all of this to make a way for us to have God's righteousness so whether we're here today, and we're like the Gentiles who were at one point not called sons and daughters of God. If at one point you didn't know God, or whether you're like the Jews who, through failure after failure to keep God's law, um, you're sitting here waiting for His judgment, we can now come to to the Father together as sons and daughters free from that judgment. Both cases deserving nothing but judgment and getting nothing but mercy and grace. So let's come together. All of us have something to be thankful for, and, uh, and that is Christ. So please come.